Um, if you would go ahead and turn your Bibles to the book of Jude, we are in Jude. Once again, uh, we're going to start in verse 8 here this morning. You know, a, a long time ago, uh, people, before they had refrigerators, could you even imagine that? Most of us uh, cannot even imagine a life without a refrigerator that runs on electricity. Some of you might remember those days, but it wasn't too terribly long ago that that was pretty common. Before they had refrigerators, they would, uh, they would harvest ice in the wintertime when streams and, and, uh, uh, and, and lakes and different things would freeze. They would cut ice out. They would harvest it and they would take it to these ice houses and it would be stored and packed with sawdust in order to insulate it. And that ice could last from the winter well into the summer and it would be distributed to people you know, on different routes and they would use that in their ice boxes to cool things and to keep things cool. Well, uh, back in those days, there was a man that was working in an ice house. And uh, while he was working in the ice house, he lost his watch. And, and, and he lost it somewhere in all that sawdust. And he, he was in the, in, in the room there, in the main room where they kept all the ice and had all the sawdust. And, and he looked and he looked and he looked for that watch. And, and he called some friends in to come and help him look for the watch. And they looked and looked and looked and nobody could find this little watch. And one of, the, one of the other workers that day had a little boy with him. I guess it was his son was at work with him. And during the lunch hour, the little boy went into the room where all the sawdust was. And, and he came out and he emerged with the watch. And everybody was saying, how in the world did you find that watch? And he said, well, all I did is I went into the room and I shut the door. Now, everybody was at lunch, so there was no noise. He says, I shut the door and I sat there in the sawdust. And after a little while of sitting in the quiet, I could hear the watch ticking. And that's how I found it. He had to, he had to tune out all the noise and, and really focus in. And suddenly he was able to hear the faint ticking of the watch, which allowed him to dig it out of the sawdust and deliver it to its owner. And as we look here at the book of Jude, we are reminded, we are reminded that, that, that there are times, friends, that we need to, to step back and sort of shut out all the noise and listen for the ticking, or in this case, the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Listen for the voice of God in what is going on all around us. Quite often, and we've said this before, we've done sermon series on these things before, but quite often we miss out on hearing God speak because we're not listening well enough. And in, in Jude's letter to the church, he's warning the church against the influences of these false teachers, people who in the name of God are leading people in the church away from the things of God. Judas telling them, step back, tune out all the noise, get away from the chaos and really think about and consider and in, 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 in what Jude is saying, not just consider what you think, but consider it in, in, in comparison with the Word of God, consider what these people are 
teaching and think about what the Bible says about these things. Think about what we know about how these things and, and how people that have done these things in the past, how that's worked out for them. And in, in essence, Jude is saying, shut the door and listen for the ticking of the watch. And so let's look here at Jude. We're in Jude chapter 1 because there's only one chapter in Jude. Starting in verse 8, reading through verse 11. <clears throat> Nevertheless, these dreamers likewise defile their flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. Yet Michael, the archangel, when he was disputing with the devil in a debate about Moses' body, did not dare to bring an abusive condemnation against him, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme anything they don't understand. And what they know by instinct, like, unreason like unreasoning animals, they destroy themselves with these things. Woe to them! For they have traveled in the way of Cain, have abandoned themselves to the heir of Balaam for profit, and have perished in Korah's rebellion. Father, we thank you for the word of God this morning. And God, we just pray that you would help us to pick up, Father, what, what, what Jude is, uh, has brought forth to us in this writing here this morning. But God, more so what you are bringing forth to us through this writing this morning. God, we pray that you would speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Many of you are familiar with the uh, comedian uh, Jeff Foxworthy. Uh, in the 90s, Jeff Foxworthy became super famous uh, for his redneck comedy routine. Uh, he used a lot of these one-liners to help identify what it means to be a redneck. You may remember some of these one-liners. Like he once said that if your complete set of salad bowls says Cool Whip on the side, he said you just might be a redneck. Uh, he said one time, he says if, you're, uh, if your home is on wheels but your cars are not, he said you might be a redneck. So he had all these little one-liners that would, uh, would remind us of, many times remind us of people that we knew. I, I think we were in Florida the first time that I, I remember seeing uh, this comedy routine on TV. And I remember thinking, has this guy been in the van with us? Like, has he been spying on my family? How does he know how my life really is like? He had all of these one-liners to help describe people how they might uh, identify somebody who indeed is a redneck in, in case, of course, they didn't know that already. But as funny as that may be, you know, Jude takes some, some things to warn believers, to help, to, to, to help uh, believers to distinguish between false teachers and false gospels uh, you know, it, so that they would not be deceived by those things. He, Jude warns believers and gives us some, some things to help identify destructive attitudes that many of these false teachers had. He does this by highlighting what, what we're going to call this morning three marks of destructive behavior. Three marks of destructive behavior. In verse 8, 
we see these three deceptions that the enemy uses in an effort to destroy our effectiveness in the kingdom of God. And these are often what we see some, some tendencies that we see among these false teachers. And if you study cult leaders today, I mean modern cult leaders, like some of which, some of these cases are in the courts and in the news today, and you study these leaders, some of which uh, uh, claim to be Christian or religious in a sense, others do not, but yet still, uh, you study these cult leaders today, you will see many of these uh, very similar tactics and similar attitudes. And so we're looking at these marks of destruction, signs, warning signs that you are being deceived. Jude, uh, number one, describes the leaders who are dreamers or they are they are relying on their dreams okay these are leaders that are guided by their own desires that's what it says in verse 8 that they're relying on their own dreams and then if you go down to verse 10 in Jude Jude tells us that these false teachers he says that they understand things by instinct he says they, 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 they operate their lives like a wild animal. He, he says by instinct. That's, that's the idea of being guided by physical senses and physical desires. Okay, This is, uh, this is uh, ir irrational thinking, irrational behavior. If, if someone's in irrational, what that means is that they are under, uh, they, they're not being guided by logic or reason or any good sense. And Jude tells us that these false teachers, that they're, they're guided by their own desires because they're guided by their dreams. It's all about their dreams. Some say, well, God guided Daniel and Joseph by dreams, and that's true. But those were God's dreams. Those are dreams given by God, delivered by God. We can authenticate them in the Word of God. Remember, friends, that I've said this over and over again. The Spirit of God is never going to lead you to do something that goes against the Word of God. The Spirit of God never leads you to do something that the Word of God blatantly tells you not to do. It just doesn't happen. So those dreams that were given to Daniel and Joseph in the Old Testament and Joseph in the New Testament, those are dreams given by God. You know, when Gary and I were talking this morning about, uh, about our friend Kim Hammer, it, it reminded me of my early days as a believer because, because when I began to sense God's call to the ministry, it took years for me to really discern and decipher if that really truly was God's calling in my life. What I feared was, hey, this is something that sounds good to me right now. And I feared jumping into something that sounded good to my senses or appealed to something that, 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 that may uh, uh, come as a dream of my own. I had to decipher, is this my dream or is this God's dream? And it's okay, friends, when the two things come together, but it's not okay when they are different. Not, not whenever you pursue. When you pursue the thing that you want to do 
in blatant opposition to what God wants you to do, that's not okay. All right? And I had to decipher between that. It took me years to understand that. So when Jude says that these false teachers, they're dreamers, so some translation says they're relying on their dreams. It says, uh, he's saying to us that these false teachers are not being driven by God. They're driven by what makes sense to them. And friends, that is a dangerous place to be. Back in the early 2000s, maybe early 2010s, there was a popular Christian teacher and preacher who gained popularity through really a tremendous ability that, that he had to communicate to people. I remember first being exposed to this person's uh, content and their teaching, and, and uh, man, it, was, it, it seemed very deep and thought out, and it was always presented with this really cool, relevant twist and you know, it's like one of those things that when you're a young adult, you're like, yeah, boy, I wish, I wish somebody at church would say it kind of like that, you know. And, and, and I, I remember that and being like, wow, this guy's a really good communicator. I was captivated by those connection skills. But somewhere down the line, this Christian teacher and preacher began writing books. And it was in those books that you get a, a more of a glimpse of what this person believed. It was in those books that I began to understand how bad his theology really was. If you don't know what theology is, that literally means the study of God. Theology was really bad. His approach to the Scripture was really bad. He looked at the Scripture as, as really not saying what it actually says. Uh, he took much of it out of context. And so, uh, so I began to realize, boy, that uh, uh, that's just... Some of the things I'm reading here, it's not right. Now, I, I might say that 75% of the other things that I read were like, yeah, man, right on. Amen to that. Love that one. And you come to one of those things, you're like, ooh, boy, that's, uh, uh. <laughs> you know. Uh, and it's not just that, that it was uncomfortable for me. It was like, wow, that clearly goes against the clear teaching of God's Word. And he wrote a book that was basically based on the premise that people around the world would be saved even if they had not professed Christ as Savior. He affirmed heaven. He affirmed hell. But then he said, yeah, hell exists, but it's, it's not a literal place. It's just a, it's sort of a state of being. It's, a, it's, a, it's basically a synonym for living in the world that we live in and suffering in this world. I mean, I, now I'm not saying people don't suffer in the world, but there is a place separate from this. There is a place uh, where God is separate from this. It is way better than what we could ever uh, imagine or hope for or experience. And there is a place that is way worse than anything that we could experience on this earth. You say, how do I know that? That's what the Bible teaches, friends. And this guy was saying, eh, you know, well, I really think it means all these things. Where did these ideas come from? They came from his idea of what love was. Not God's idea, his idea of love. His idea uh, and perception of, of what it meant to be fair. What maybe his perception of how the world may perceive what justice is and what the world may perceive as fairness, what the world may perceive as love. He, he never really, really uh, uh, 
approaches it from what does God say and what is, how does the Bible define it. He was reading things into the Bible that were not there. In other words, it was all about what made sense to him. These were his dreams, his notions, his thoughts, but not God's. And this is what these false teachers would do. When we look at God's Word, we see Proverbs 3, 5 through 7. It says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, and do not rely on your own understanding, but in all your ways know Him. Some of your translations say, Acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Are there things in this life that we don't understand? Absolutely. Are there things that we don't like? Absolutely. Are there things that just don't make sense? Yes, there are. But that does not mean that you cannot trust what is in the Word of God. The Bible says, do not rely on your own understanding. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Trust God. Trust His Word with your entire heart, with everything you are. These false teachers in the church, Jude says, they're not being led by the Word of God. They're being led by what makes sense to them. They're not pursuing the truth. <laughs> they're pursuing their truth. There's a difference. There is a difference. That's why... First John talking about false teachers. John says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see if they are from God, because many false prophets have gone into the world. How do you test the spirit? Some, some people will say, Well, you test the spirit by, by asking yourself, Does it feel good? I had a had a uh, had a, a recruiter from a modern cult approached me on a college campus and said, have you ever read this particular thing? I said, no, I don't need to. And he said, well, you ought to read it because this is from God. I said, how do you know it's from God? He said, because it makes me feel good. And so he, he opened up this book that he had and he read me a passage from it. He said, see, doesn't that make you feel good? And I said, yeah, that sounds pretty good. But, you know, some of the things that the Beatles sing sound pretty good. But that doesn't mean that they're from God. John says, test every spirit. How do you test it? You test it against the Word of God. Because your emotions can deceive you. Your dreams can deceive you. They were guided by their own desires, but also, number two, we see that they were people who defiled their flesh. It says they defiled their flesh. What does it mean to defile? The word defile really means to pollute to taint, to damage it somehow. In Scripture, especially in the Old Testament, which is what Jude is referencing here, uh, it, it almost always has to do with something that you do with your body that is sinful. It has to do with things that, uh, that you do physically. Often it has to do with intimate things that, uh, that people do with their bodies outside of the bonds of marriage. It means that these 
false teachers were saying, look at me, I believe in the Lord. Yeah, I believe in Jesus. Sure I do. Oh, I come with a new word from the Lord. Yet, in their lives, they were polluting and damaging their own bodies by doing intimate things outside of the bonds of marriage. This is another reason why Jude, in verse 10, compares them to irrational animals who do things by instinct or by urge. And when you live and make decisions, friends, based on what makes sense at the time or based mostly on what you think will feel good at the time, uh, based on whatever you have the urge to do, you are vulnerable to falling into the trap of the enemy. That's why God tells the people of Leviticus 18, he says, do not defile yourselves by any of these practices for the nations I am driving out before you have defiled themselves by all of these things. He, God is saying to Israel in the Old Testament, don't be like these non-believers. I have set you apart. You are my people. You are to be different. And that is what the Lord is saying to them. If you go back and you read Leviticus 18 and all the things God addresses before chapter uh, 4, verse 24, you'll see and notice many of the ways that people can defile themselves and defile others by the things that they do with their bodies. And so uh, he even mentions specifically some of the things that we talked about last week that Jude uh, mentioned in, verse, uh, in, in verses 5 through 7. So these false teachers in the church have some very disturbing attitudes, very disturbing and destructive approaches to life. And that distinguishes them from legitimate Christian teachers, that they rely on their own desires, they're driven by their dreams, not God's dreams, that they defile their flesh, and the next we see that they reject authority, and, they, and also this is connected to that that they reject authority by slandering the glorious ones, as Jude says. We see in verse 9 that Jude begins to tell us about an interaction that Michael, the archangel, had with the devil over the body of Moses. Uh, verse 9 says, Yet when Michael, the archangel, was disputing with the devil in an argument about Moses' body, he did not dare, this is Michael the archangel, did not dare to utter a slanderous condemnation against him, him as the devil, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Now verse 9, Jude is referencing a story that they would have known well, not because it was found anywhere in the canon of scripture, but because it was found in, in a writing that they were familiar with in those days. And without going too far into the weeds, this is much like the book of Enoch, where Jude references something that they would have known, that they were familiar with from that writing. And as he references it, he uh, it gives us a lot of historical context. Was there really a dispute of between Satan and Michael? Could have been, I don't know. I, I tend to think there probably was. Jude is illustrating the fact that in the story, when Michael battles Satan, Michael did not pronounce his judgment against Satan. He didn't say, Satan, I, Michael the archangel, rebuke you in my name. That's not what he said. 
he said, he says, the Lord rebuke you. In doing so, Michael, in that story, is operating under the authority of God, under the umbrella of what God wants, what God desires, what God, uh, what God commands. The false teachers that Jude is talking about, their authority did not come from God. This is what he's illustrating. So uh, often, we don't know exactly how, but, uh, but what we see here in plot is that, is that often these false teachers would overstep the boundaries and they would often involve themselves in some way, shape, or form in situations that they should not be in. They got involved and they overstepped their boundaries and got involved in things that, that, that they had no business being a part of. And, this is why in verse 10 it says that these people blaspheme, these false teachers blaspheme anything they don't understand. It suggests that maybe they were getting involved in even some very spiritual matters, taking some spiritual battles maybe even upon themselves. Maybe they themselves were rebuking Satan. Maybe instead of saying, this is what the Lord says, Maybe they just said, you know, this is what I say. I, I'm not sure. But what we see here clearly is that they rejected authority. When, when Jesus talked about rejecting authority, he's talking about the rejection of God's heavenly authority uh, first. But then it says when he talks about slandering the glorious ones, many people think, well, maybe this is talking about the angels. It could be, could be, could be. But I tend to think that probably it's not talking about the angels, but the glorious ones. When you look at the language, I think he's talking about the outright rejection of the rightly established earthly leaders in the church. False teachers would come in and say, well, I know your leaders say this, but I think that. You know, I, I, I reject their authority. I reject that God has placed them here, that God has clearly called them here, whatever that might be. I reject that, and I am saying something else. This is what these false teachers do. They, uh, they have authority issues. James says uh, in James 4, 7, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Resist, resist the devil and he will flee. You know what the opposite of that is? The opposite of that is resisting God equals submitting to and welcoming evil. Or submitting to and welcoming the devil is resisting God. Titus 3.1, talking about church leaders, Paul tells Titus, remind these leaders that you recruit, he says, to submit to the rulers and authorities, to obey, and to be ready for every good work. Here, here, here's the gist of it, friends. We demonstrate our surrender to God by obeying the rightly established godly authorities in our life, or when I say obeying, when we submit to the leadership of the rightly established godly authorities in our lives, and so these details describe for us behavior that often leads to destruction. These things that Jude is talking about, they these kind of attitudes that they rely on their own dreams, that they, uh, uh, you, you know, that, that they defile themselves. Why do they defile themselves? Because first. They're relying on their own will, their own desire instead of God's. Their own will, their own desire leads them to do what? 
defile themselves, okay? And by doing so, they are rejecting the authority, the heavenly authority of God, number one, and the earthly teaching of the godly teachers that God has placed in their lives. And so he gives, a, he gives these, uh, these, these three sort of warning signs, and then he gives... He cites three examples of what I call three deep-seated deceptions from their past. And I'm going to just mention these to you very quickly. We see them in verse 11. He says, Woe to them, these false teachers, for they have gone the way of Cain, plunged into Balaam's error for profit, and perished in Korah's rebellion. The way of Cain. You remember the story of Cain and Abel. When Cain killed his brother Abel, he chose the way of wickedness by welcoming evil. He then rejected the authority of God. It all started, though, when Cain decided that he didn't like God's standards. You remember Cain and Abel decided to bring God an offering? Hebrews 11 tells us that Abel's offering was an offering of faith. And that's why God is pleased with it. But Cain's offering uh, is, 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 is not an offering of faith. 1 John 3 tells us that Cain, Cain's offering was evil. Cain was, was, was jumping through the hoops of religion. Abel was saying, God, here is my best. I'm giving you my best because it, it's sort of a, it's a sign of, it's an outflow of what is going on on the inside because I truly believe and have faith in you and that's why I give this to you. Cain's offering though was like well I guess I ought to do something you know I don't want to look bad. He was sort of jumping through the hoops of religion he was going through the motions but deep down his offering was an offering of love because he didn't really truly believe in uh, and respect the authority of God. Then God confronts him with his evil in Genesis 4, verses 6 through 8. And if you don't know, I don't know if you can guess what happens, but it doesn't go well. It doesn't go well at all. Have you ever known anybody that has authority issues? Have you ever known anybody that doesn't do well with authority? They're mad at the world. Everything is someone else's fault. You know, they, they have a hard time at work because nobody can ever tell them what to do. Uh, they're never wrong. They do not receive feedback in a constructive way. And, and because of all this, they're very capable of lashing out and being very unreasonable. I found that mental health experts call that oppositional defiant disorder. Uh, it's an interesting thing. I think that's maybe what Cain had. <laughs> he was very mad at God. He wasn't happy uh, that God, he wasn't happy that God wasn't satisfied with his sacrifice. He thought God ought to be happy because he at least did something. It wasn't his fault. Hey, I, I brought you something. Not my fault, right? But God says, no, actually, Cain, um, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't happy with what you brought me because it didn't come from the right place in your heart. God, God says to him, he, he says, Cain, if you do what's right, won't you be accepted? He's saying, Cain, it's, it's, this is your fault. Okay? But that wasn't good enough for Cain. It's never my fault. It's somebody else's fault. And so he was very furious, the Bible says, despondent, Scripture says, after, uh, after all of this. And of course, when you're mad at God, it's kind of hard to lash out at God. 
because he's God, right? <laughs> so he lashed out at his little brother, lashed out at Abel, killed Abel. Jude says, these false teachers that reject God's authority, they reject it just as blatantly as Cain did. That's where the comparison is. Everybody knows. You say Cain and Abel, they know. Cain, bad, right? Everybody knows that. Even non-Christians know Cain, bad. But some of the things that we see in our culture, see, we mask it other ways, don't we? And Jude says, their rejection of God's authority is just as blatant as Cain. He talks about the error of Balaam. Balaam, uh, the story of Balaam is found in the book of Numbers. We see it referenced in different parts of the Bible, especially in Deuteronomy. Here's the gist of Balaam. Balaam was hired by the Moabite king, who was the king of the enemy of Israel. He hired Balaam uh, to go and to speak bad things against Israel. This is kind of like, kind of like a, uh, like, like almost like a what they would call a fake news campaign of some sort today. Okay, everybody, we all have trouble uh, really relying on all the things that we're told from the news, and so it makes you want to go and dig and see what actually happened and what actually was said. It doesn't matter what news station, they all have a similar issues. But what, what the Moabite king did, he wanted to really, he, he wanted to discourage the people of Israel. He wanted to cause them damage. So he goes and gets this guy who's a prophet of Israel, and he says, this is what I want you to do. I'm going to pay you a few, a few bucks here. I'm going to give you some warm palms, and I want you to go, and I want you to say bad things to the Israelites. And Balaam, who was not a man of honor, but yet was a man that was a prophet on the tape, if you will, he was all about the money, said, okay, well, whoever's paying me the most money, that's who I'm going to support. And so that's kind of what he did. Now, what we know through the story of Balaam is that God sovereignly intervened, and although Balaam, uh, Balaam set out to do it a certain way, God intervenes and changes all of that, and in fact causes Balaam to speak uh, speak. Uh, righteous and good things to Israel so we understand that 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 God worked in, the, in a mighty way but here's what's lost in the shuffle that Balaam was a dishonest prophet he was all about the money and so and so Jude is, is saying to them these false teachers are not bringing you a message from God Jude's saying they don't care about you don't think that they have your best interest in mind he says they're doing it for the money. Their motivation isn't spiritual. It's financial. It's all about what benefits them. Then he talks about the core rebellion. He talks about uh, this rebellion uh, that, was, uh, that was led by a man named Korah in Numbers 16. He gathered 250 prominent Israelite men who were leaders in the community and representatives in the assembly. And these men went before Moses and Aaron to rebel against them. They did not like Moses' leadership. Moses keeps you know, having this time with God and God gives him messages and then he comes and tells them all these things and it's almost like for a while he keeps telling them every time they turn around, he's telling them something they, they shouldn't do and they finally get tired of it and they say, who are you to tell us what we can and can't do? We're all children of God. We're all co-equal in the kingdom of God. Who are you to tell us? We reject you. We reject your authority. That was the core of rebellion. 
Then you go and you study that, and you'll see that it didn't work, work out so well for Korah and his leaders, those who rebelled against Moses. Because here's the thing, when they were rebelling against that earthly authority, they first had to rebel against the heavenly authority to decide, I don't care. <laughs> they had to decide, I don't care what God has said to Moses. Because I don't like what Moses is saying to me. You see? It's all about me. So it's not about you. It's not about what's right. It's not about what is true. It's about how it affects me. And how it makes me feel. And we see that it didn't work out too well for them. And so Jude is saying these false teachers are like Korah's rebellion. It may make sense to some, but it's not what God has established. And you go back and see what happened to Korah. Wasn't so good. You go back, and although it's not in the uh, the the the, uh, uh, the passage in Numbers, I think it's 22 through 24 with Balaam. Uh, we don't see. You can see in other parts of Scripture what happens to Balaam. Not so good. We see what happens to Cain. Not so good. Okay. Jesus warning the believers not to be sucked to be read by people like Cain and Balaam and Korah. He begins pointing out the dangerous tendencies that are common with these false teachers. They, they rely on their own dreams. They defile their flesh and they reject God's authority in heaven and on earth. He's saying their sin is blatant like that of Cain, Balaam, and Korah. Do not be deceived. Friends, we are living in a world that is uh, that has fallen prey to many of the many of the, the enemy's deceptions on a host of issues. The enemy has convinced many in our culture that the ultimate expression of love is approval. You, by the way, you can accept somebody and love somebody without approving of everything they do. But the world says you must approve. Because of this many churches have fallen prey to this dichotomy that we see in our culture that forces us to choose between pleasing men by approving of whatever culture says is popular in the day or pleasing God by saying, I only approve morally and rightfully of what is approved in the Word of God for years this has been creeping into Christian culture it has crept into the church entire denominations have been infiltrated with these false teachings and false doctrines and we are seeing it manifested today just like Jude says I say to you be contenders of faith contend for the gospel stand on the promises of God don't be hateful but lovingly stand on the promises of God he loves you. You can trust Him. You can trust His Word. There is power in the name of the Lord. And His name, Scripture teaches us, is above all names. Let's pray.